Welcome back to The Hang 2021. Um, here we go. With a uh, new year comes a new look. Um, it's going to be me taking over The Hang, and we're going to have new guests on every episode uh, from musicians to just friends of mine in general, you know, talking about uh, life, um, what's going on in the world, and and just our thoughts. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, like I said, new guest every episode and um each one i'm sure will be <laughs> very different from the previous uh this week we have jalen baker great friend of mine uh that i met down at florida state university while i was doing my master's degree great vibraphonist coming from uh, houston texas uh yeah just overall a great guy in this episode we go in and we start talking about uh his process recording his recent record how he's handling everything with quarantine, um, and, and just overall, you know, what we're kind of thinking as two younger musicians and what we're trying to put in perspective and everything. So hope you enjoy. Um, it'll be a fun one and I'm very excited for what the year has to come. So today is January 8th, 2021, uh, here with Jalen Baker, still making a living somehow during a pandemic. and the government folding on itself and sports not the same as we know it i mean how does it did you ever think you were going to be here when you were complaining about a master's degree a year and a half ago (laughs) i mean definitely not but life is a lot simpler now than it was when i was complaining about a master's degree is it though like how are you it is for me. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of the, the the obvious steps we're supposed to be doing are not as simple anymore. Uh, I mean, there's there's some benefit to uh, what's going on. Is uh, at least for me, I live in a red state, so <laughs> things aren't necessarily any different per se. And I, since I'm living at home, like I probably would not be would not have been living at home by this point had all of this happen thus i would not have had saved up as much money as i have saved up thus i wouldn't have been able to uh do some of the things that i have currently done <laughs> it just kind of right. it just kind of um just makes some things simpler focus in a little bit more like i don't live in california so like there's some there's something to be said for terrible leadership <laughs> <laughs> how did you uh How'd you get past the lull? Because even when you were in, when we were in oh, school well. together, you always had a very, uh, I don't know, project focused or whatever. I mean, almost to a fault where like you wouldn't necessarily be wanting to do the stuff that like we had to do. And you had your, you know, your goals set on other things. Oh, but, for like, sure. how, how'd you do, how'd you do that now? You know, cause it's so oh, easy man. to just sit there and play 2k all day. Oh bro. Like at, at first I didn't do anything. Like, so this <laughs> happened like maybe March last year. Right. Um, when everything shut down from about March till about, let's say, so initially I say from about March to about May, I practiced quite a bit, but then that got real old, like real, real quick. Like I was not about that at all. So then after that, I just watched a ton of TV. Like I didn't do anything for like a month. Like I think I finished Netflix. I've seen everything. And but 
eventually, you, you know, you, you got to find something to do. So then like, obviously, um, I started uh, planning for the uh, for my album and all of that, and that that took up a lot of focus, took up some uh, some time, so that was good. And by about August, I was playing gigs again, so I got busy. But those those like that span between about June to about August was terrible. I didn't do anything at all. So I think at some point I was just like, you know what? I'm a I've been saying I was going to record my album in 2020. I'm gonna make sure it happens. So about August, I like really stepped on the gas with that. What made you, uh, you know, just the year aside, what made you mm-hmm. want to do an album when you did? Cause it's, you know, I had always for a minute. Yeah. I had, I had always say it said that this year, well, 20, uh, the end of 2020, I was going to record. So I wasn't necessarily willing to let anything, uh, stop that from happening and there were a lot of things that tried to stop it from happening even like days before so um it was was just kind of like my personal timetable for having uh for getting it done um and it it worked out somehow (laughs) (laughs) so where did the uh i don't know is inspiration the right word like where's where's the material coming from that is that stuff from years past and if so you know do you still feel like that stuff is um current with you you know i feel like a lot of people do mm-hmm. this thing where they write music they record it and then by the time it's ready to go out they feel like they're already on to something else you know <laughs> yeah no so a lot of it is some of it's really new like some stuff uh like you probably you you wouldn't you would yourself wouldn't have even heard because i wrote it like this past summer summer 2020 like a few things and then some things you have heard because it's from like let's say my recital, uh, my master's recital. So I think the good thing is like having gone to FSU, I didn't get to play a ton of my original music while I was there, which I think was a good thing because I'm not super tired of it. Right. Um, you know, so I'm a little tired of it now because I've been listening to it at nauseum for like mixing purposes and whatnot, but um, it, it's still current. Cause I'll, I'll, everything is very, uh, most of the stuff is uh, pretty personal and uh, I guess not much has changed. I get like, I'm, I'm still kind of who I am. Like, let's say, I think the oldest song, the oldest tune on the album is probably from about four years ago. Hmm. So, and it's still relevant to me. It still resonates with me. Um, and everything else I think is probably maybe two to three to, to about the, the next oldest would be about two years. So, right. you know, I think it's a good uh, representation of uh, like, I guess my evolution as a human being or a musician or whatever, because you, you definitely get to hear uh, this progression, at least in terms of uh, how I write. Because, I, I mean, I can look, probably because I wrote the stuff, I can kind of listen to everything and tell what, at what point I wrote this. <laughs> and maybe other people can't too. So, I, mean, I don't know, man. You're very um, difficult <laughs> with your writing. Because we talked about it before. You just don't, you just play, you know. It's, it's definitely mm-hmm. a little bit more like, 
learn by row, even if you give us the sheet music, because we end up asking you to, Hey, can you, can you play this for us? Because it's subdivided and you know, yeah, yeah. Way we're like, technically it's right, but it's just way mm-hmm. easier to hear what's being interpreted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's just, that's like one of the drawbacks of just like reading music in general, in my opinion, like yeah. some things look really intimidating on paper, but they're not, they're usually not that bad once you hear them. And I, I, I do, I go out of my way to try and make it look as clear as possible on paper, but that doesn't necessarily help. <laughs> so um, I think all the stuff on the album, it definitely, probably because it's, it's definitely being played really well, it sounds a lot easier than what it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is a good thing. Like, if I hand somebody the sheet music for a lot of the tunes, they probably never would have imagined that it looked like, that it looked like it, what it looks like. So, right. So, but then, man, why did you, you know, not to say I'm against it, but mm-hmm. like first formal recording project of you as a leader, mm-hmm. you know, and I... Uh, to say that you set the goals high, I think would be an understatement of, you know, not only wanting to do all originals, I think, mm-hmm. but then also bring in strings. You know, what mm-hmm. was the, <laughs> why, you know, like where, yeah. where did that come from? Yeah, man. So like, I think I've always kind of tried to figure out ways to wanted to do things that make me stick out a little bit, not necessarily intentionally trying to be different, but uh, just trying to, uh, you know, separate myself from the crowd because in 2021, there's a lot of musicians, there's a lot of music being put out, even in the small jazz world, within the jazz world, just, you know, a lot of albums just being released every month, maybe not right now, but before pre-pandemic, there's a ton of work just constantly uh cycling across the internet so i just wanted to do some uh do something that was gonna that is gonna be different from what most people would normally do whether it be regardless of if it's like my first record or not um like the string stuff like actually (laughs) i think there's three there's three tracks on the album that have strings i wanted to do five tracks with strings Right. But I got lazy because uh, <laughs> it's it's like stupid time consuming to like work with those instruments because they're uh, they're just different. You know, they're not horns. So like timbre with with strings is like really big. And just because you put the right notes in a chord doesn't mean it's going to be well received just because of how, you know, just just because of the sound of the instrument, like you kind of have to reevaluate what you're doing and and whatnot so the next i'm already kind of trying to figure out what i'm gonna do for the next one and in a perfect world it would be strings from most of the album and also like a couple of more horns um like i think on my recital on my recital i have flute so there's no flute on the record but for the next record i definitely want flute and I want to start trying to figure out how to deal with like bass clarinet. That's an interesting, interesting sound to me. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, man. Like I'm for it. It's cool. I support <laughs> it. Every, but sometimes I would just wonder like, man, does Jalen just get bored and be like, what else can I figure out? You know? 
Yeah, I mean, I just like, I, I, I like this. I don't like, so it's, it's real weird. I don't like the sound of a big band per se. Like I like big band music, but, but not, I would never really want to write for big band. And I think that quintet, I would much prefer to play with a quintet live for sure. Before recording, I like the I like layers. Sure. Um, and so I'm always there's like I want to with the tunes that I write, I want there to be like span. So like you know, for instance, I guess like flutes on the top, and then if there was bass clarinet, bass clarinets on the bottom. So there's like octaves and octaves of of uh, of sound and timbre, and that's something that I like. And it comes across well in headphones. Live, sure. wouldn't really want to deal with that live just because then you're having the sound men and like a stage mix and all of that. I'll just play the, the music like quartet or quintet. Like I right. need all that live. But for a record, um, I think it's important to like give an, uh, an, an immersive experience. And the people I listen to do, do things like that. Like uh, Ambrose, um, his favorite record of mine, uh, the imagine savior yada 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 it's like 20 more words in the title um and gerald clayton like i love i love what they do because they use really and stefan harris they use really interesting just instrumentation i think gerald clayton might have a bassoon on one of a bassoon player on one of his records hmm. and stefan harris he has a record card called african tarantella tarantella it's not tarantula everybody thinks it's tarantula because there's a big tarantula on his head on their album cover but they're spelled differently and tarantella is a african dance but nonetheless um he, he arranges all these duke ellington pieces and it's like it's uh the instrumentations like uh piano bass drums vibes trombone flute violin and cello or viola and cello excuse me so like, that's really weird, you know. That's uh, that would just make writing kind of a pain, just because you're you're missing some key, uh, just voices. <laughs> right. But you know, that, that's the kind of thing that I, I I like to hear and deal with. But as far as like not having standards on the album, we actually recorded some standards. So like, maybe they'll make the final cut, or maybe they won't. Because the interesting thing about like at least where I'm at musically right now is I don't play a ton of gigs where I'm able to play standards hmm. right now. Before the pandemic, I was playing standards all the time and I was loving it because I was learning a lot of tunes. But now like everything's like either like fusiony jazz or like hip hop or R and B or whatever. And that comes across in the album too, in my playing. And it like draw drives me nuts a little bit just because I'm like, ooh, some of my like hip hop isms are coming coming out a little too much on this uh on, on, in my soloing but i think it's a good representation of the times <laughs> if anything you know why do you have uh why does that irk you a little bit because it, from my perspective you've always had a very um particular approach to the way that you're going to <laughs> incorporate like the music that you like and everything into everything that you play you know, mm -hmm. I think you understand you like you understand obviously like the uh educational value or whatever of learning the historical stuff. But at the end of you know, you've always been very particular, you know, it's not like I'm listening to you and be like, Oh man, that sounds, you know, 
that sounds a lot like Milt Jackson right here, you know, or that's mm-hmm. that sounds a lot like this one cat, you know, from a big band in the forties or whatever, you know? So why, why yeah, does that I, hurt you though? I think mainly because I know how I sounded like this time last year when I was playing more jazz, like yeah. specifically like jazz. So um, I think I had a, I, I liked my blend of the worlds a little bit more. Not, not much. Like I'm not disappointed with my sound at all, but um, I think I did have like a little bit more of a blend um, just because I was doing both, arguably doing more jazz. How do you now, balance like, the blend? It, it's it's tough, man. Uh, like, I think it's literally just dealing with different harmony, um, if that makes sense. Like uh, a lot of poppier stuff or even fusion, if you just stay in the realm of jazz, like a lot of fusion music might be one chord vamps you know so that vocabulary is a little bit different than if you're playing donna lee i don't think it's i don't think it's that much different but there's more chromaticism involved with donna lee than like let's say uh uh, uh, i'm trying to think of a uh, if you're dealing with like a red clay you know um there's there's obviously like big similarities but um they're one of them is super chromatic and one of them is very pentatonic. Right. You know, and there's like every, it's hard, it's hard for, I think it's hard for anybody to balance. Like if you're playing a ton of straight ahead bebop, I think those cats sometimes struggle with playing like the one chord vamps because there's less material there and you're having to create so much of your own tension and release, um, which is a skill. Because funny enough, like I remember this time last year, I got a gig that was more like fusiony based or whatever, and I was telling someone, I was like, "Man, I haven't played this type of stuff in a while. It's kind of kicking my butt." Like <laughs> just because it was like one chord just sitting there for forever, and I was like playing things like I hear a rap city, like all the songbook songbook stuff that has like you know all these two fives and whatnot. So like this time last year, I felt like I might have been having a harder time dealing with the like the more I don't want to say modern but uh the things with less harmony Hmm. so it's just like I think I guess it's like a constant uh you know battle that people were facing and every everyone's not Roy Hargrove like everyone uh, (laughs) everyone can't play like the like play all of that stuff incredibly at a drop of a you know drop of a hat right 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 did I does this album catch you singing on it too or is it just the vibes that it picks up (laughs) it it is thankfully just the vibes because we have to wear the mask in the studio right i thought about that i was like i was like the mask is definitely going to keep some of my vocal most of my vocalizations out man does this mean you're going to wear a mask for for all your recording (laughs) sessions here on out you know pandemic or not i might we'll, we'll see like because I personally, like, none of the vocalizations bother me at all. But my right. mom's always like, she's always like, you just me- it's messing up the record, yada, yada, yada. I was like, it didn't mess up Keith Jarrett's record. Yeah, right. I'm, but, she hasn't listened to enough Keith Jarrett then. Yeah, yeah. And so, but like, you know, I get it though. Um, you can hear it on some of the tunes for sure. Um, like some of the, the things that we recorded, like quartet, where there's less happening. If you really like listen in, you can uh, you can hear it. And I think... I think the guy mixing it, Dave, I think he mixed a decent amount of it just out, like got it out. But for the most part, I think I was like, I don't think I was doing it quite as much, mainly because like some of the tunes are uh, like at least 
maybe the first i'm still working on the track order but maybe half the album like some of the some of the pieces are like so composed that i'm not stretching a ton hmm. you know um like which is a you know a challenge in the studio we're used to playing music where you just take as many courses as you want you know you just play until you just don't want to play anymore in the studio it's like all right we want to keep the track time down so take one course and so like i'm not so in like so in a zone that i'm like just letting anything spew out of my uh out of my mouth while i'm playing right you know? right that usually starts happening around chorus three or four. So if I'm only taking like one or two, like I'm probably, I'm like just getting into it and then I'm having to pull myself out or, uh, or um, it just doesn't have enough time to, to get to that point where I'm that comfortable. <laughs> I, I feel that man. But I think again, like you were saying, a lot of your music uh, that I've played at least tends to lead itself towards that because it is, you know, it's not okay. Here's an A A B A, and then the play over the form. You know, it's like here's mm-hmm. an A section. Play the A. Then we're gonna do this, and then we're gonna go here. It's just you're, you're just trying to stay focused to make sure you're not getting behind or whatever. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. And you know, like on the on the record specifically, everything is like super super organic and like really free flowing. And I'm like super proud of the guys who played on it because the music was not easy at all. Um, and they they absolutely killed it um but like the the drawback of uh of recording sometimes at least uh probably more so for younger musicians is is being able to like bring a certain level of intensity uh when you know that they're like you're a little bit more boxed in just because of like time and whatnot so like Everything I actually think for the most part, and you haven't heard it yet, but you'll you'll probably hear it within the within the month. Um I, I love how I sound because I'm not as uh sporadic. <laughs> I feel like I'm a little bit more uh concise with my note choice and sure, whatnot. Sure. And um like I it's think it's a little a bit more of, intentional. Yeah, exactly, yeah. because it's not live. And I think one of the beauties of playing live is that you can be unintentionally intentional you, you know what i mean like you right. can kind of play whatever and it's gone you know the second you played it's left this universe on a record it's there forever you know right. Right, right, right so so like um i'm definitely not chopped well on some of them i'm definitely chopping out but i i really like my solos on some on some of the on some of the tunes just because i'm it, it sounds like i'm real focused on the notes that i'm getting and the sound that i'm getting from the instrument and I'm not pushing the band in a specific direction. It's like we're collectively kind of getting to a point. No one's really dictating anything. It's just kind of happening. Like if we get to a point where we're playing loud, that's cool. But if not, that's also cool because there's a lot of merit to that and whatnot because that's what that's what was happening in that moment. Like I wasn't forcing us to get to like these intense places. If it happened, it happened because that's what was supposed to happen if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, did you feel, uh, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's almost sometimes a little bit of a pressure to fulfill certain expectations, especially as a young musician, you know, putting stuff out there and you know, the way that you should play based upon everyone that's uh, helped you or whatever. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and and how did you balance that too? Because also the, the, the flip side though, is like, I think you, um, you kind of have like that modern take of like what the mentorship used to be in this music with like the people that have been, you you know, your, your mentors for lack of a better word, but Mm -hmm. none of them to, from, from my point of view, at least from what we've talked about it are, uh, are, are, are that hands-on with the way that they're going to expect you to sound or what they're going to expect you to do. You know, it's a little bit more big picture approach, you know, a little hands off and whatnot, but like, how did you balance that? You know, cause people talk about it all the time, the, the feeling of like, Oh, I need to do standards so I can prove mm-hmm. that I can do this and then do my own thing, you know, or your, your concern of how, if there is a concern of, of how the um, older generation or whatnot is going to, uh, receive it yeah um I guess with that like I think for the last 26 I'm 26 now year and a half two years removed from masters almost yeah, almost yeah, two we, years we, we about a year and a half 2019 yeah yeah so I guess in the over the last um eight or so years I don't there hasn't really been a year that I've walked walked as professionals a career path that I haven't been compared to someone like Joe Ross or Mill Jackson or Stefan or whatever. Warren. Well, there's only like what nine um, of you? Like, come on. Exactly, <laughs> and one is very, one is very successful right now. One that's at my age, our age, right now. Right. So like, that's always going to come up. And um, so like, if you want to hear Joe Ross, don't buy the record. You know. And that's no disrespect to Joe. That's my guy. And he'd say the same things for his record. If you want to hear Jalen or Warren or Stefan, don't buy his record. You know, so it's just, I've always wanted to do my own thing. And like with someone like Ulysses produced a record, he was really good about not really caring how I sounded. (laughs) If that makes sense. Like um, he wasn't like, yeah, I think you can play a better solo or I think you can uh, I think you can dig in more on your solo. He literally didn't comment on a single solo anybody took the whole two days, um, which I think was nice because that's like what we focus on. That's what I still focus on. Like we're a month removed from the session and I'm still like, ooh, I, might, I could have played a better solo on that tune or I know I've played a better solo on that tune before. But I think one of the things he was good about was not even letting that type of anxiety creep into anybody's mind, specifically me, I guess, because it's my record. And he never said anything like you gotta, you gotta uh, play standards so people know you're legitimate or or anything like that. Funny enough, uh, he texted me like a few weeks ago, and he was like, "Man, we recorded like maybe three or four standards, standards." tunes that are swinging <laughs> and, and uh he was like man i don't think you should use any of these like uh i don't think they they stand up well against your originals or whatever and i haven't made the decision yet but um you know that just kind of shows where he's at uh he doesn't necessarily think it's necessary um and i like i like playing standards but um i don't think anybody has to do that well has to do that on a record um to gain or garner any sort of uh credibility like if you can play you can play like um and it's very apparent 
uh, by like the second someone starts playing notes, regardless of the genre of music. Like I think I was watching a video of Chad Lefowitz Brown the other day. Um, and I watched, I watched like 20 seconds of it, <laughs> but like at the beginning, he was talking about uh, how he used to play with Taylor Swift, um, and some other pop stars. And I was like, yeah, if he ever took a solo on any of those concerts immediately, like the crowd, the world knew that this guy can play. Right. It doesn't necessarily matter what it was that he was playing, like the, the vacuum that he was playing in. But I think that's like something that's that's like a real old head mentality. It's like, you got to play the standard. So, so we know you can, you can do this for real. It's like, yeah, cool. Sometimes people sound bad on standards just because they don't relate to them very well, you know, or just music in general. Sometimes people sound bad on certain genres of music because it's not, it's not uh, relevant. So like, yeah. Yeah. Relevant to them. At least, you know, it's not there. It's not yeah, their yeah. Loss. Yeah, and I, I I love playing tunes, specifically songbook tunes. I actually like playing songbook tunes more than like some of the more like like the jazz standards. Yeah, I might listen to the jazz standards more um, from just like a a fan standpoint. But I love playing like uh, it could happen to you. Like, it's just a beautiful song to play. Or oh, yeah, uh, and there's a great simplicity to it. You know, I don't have to. Not that I am knocking it at all. I don't have to play Wayne Shorter the rest of my life. You know. Yeah, you know, I love Wayne. I don't necessarily. I'm not gonna say I don't enjoy playing his tunes, but if I play a gig where we're just calling tunes, I feel like I gravitate more to the song to the songbook stuff or like something stupid difficult like a, a Coltrane reharmonization of a song book tune just yeah, from a like necessary yeah it is unnecessary which is like why i, I like playing i like trying to play them don't sound good on them but. but i think that those lend themselves more to like the way that you like your vocabulary and your whatnot you know like you were mm. talking about earlier like you play a lot of lines that are like pentatonic based Mm-hmm. Or that some would attribute with like a like an R and B or a gospel scent or whatever you want to call it, you mm-hmm. know. And no, there's sure. only a, a handful. I mean, a handful. What am I saying? There's tons, but you know, there's like when I when I start to think of it, are those more like j- jazz, quote unquote, tunes, you know, standards or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like my head goes to like a Nardis or or a uh, Black Orpheus or Beatrice. You know, I guess tunes mm-hmm. that begin with the word B that uh, will you know that stuff works over that's not necessarily always going to fit over stable mates yeah yeah and which is how it is i guess yeah exactly and i think with like that type of stuff i like trying i try to i try really hard to sound the same way on everything that i play not from a not uh adjusting standpoint but like I like people like Ambrose, who, if you've ever heard Ambrose play a standard, <laughs> it's really interesting. I don't know if it's necessarily like, I don't know how many people would uh, would enjoy it. I enjoy it because I appreciate the fact that he's not adjusting what he does based on what's put in front of him. Yes. And that's very, for that's, his, like, his yeah. voice, that can be really tough, you know. Yes, um, it can he, be. <laughs> he he makes it worse. He makes it work, and it's only getting more and more extreme. <laughs> which which I also really like. He's like really taking it up a notch. Like if you listen to records of Ambrose ten years ago and Ambrose now, he's only getting deeper into the into his sound. 
yeah like, like i think of he, like that uh that that first record that he kind of put out uh uh prelude or, or something where he's playing like stable mates and it's like okay you know that that is stable mates sure i can follow but you listen to stuff now and it's it's much uh it's not and it, this is not a dig at him it's just not hmm. something that i'm going to casually have in the background it's something that i need to sit down to listen to you know yeah it's definitely artsy for sure and there's merit to that and that's like i don't know if i want to get that deep into that world because i still like uh western melody (laughs) i don't want to knock what he's doing uh so things that i like dissonance when dissonance is like not terribly uncomfortable <laughs> you know uh and i I love ambrose like i love that stuff and i try to take a lot of what he does in his music and put it in mine and i think any ambrose fan will listen to my record specifically and kind of hear some things that are very similar and that i probably uh directly copped from maybe something i heard him do sure. but he is he, he is definitely an intense an intense player uh, he is gonna he's gonna give you every wrong note he can possibly think of at a given moment man so and make the band deal with it you know i guess another thing that i that i find particularly interesting about you because i think i i wish i could do it uh is you might be the most efficient but least traditionally organized person i've ever met <laughs> where i don't you know, organization without sh- like the sh- formal structure of a school or like a set gigs coming up or whatever is hard, at least for me. You know, I'm finally trying to buy back into the whole planner idea. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man, you just seem like you live that quintessential like, oh, he's a jazz musician. That's like, you know, up till seven or eight in the morning, like composing stuff, you know, sleep until five, waking like, <laughs> I don't know. Just from like I like me being friends with you in college and knowing like how stuff would work out. Again, most productive at getting plans done with the least amount of traditional <laughs> organization I've ever. Yeah, because I definitely I definitely don't write anything down. <laughs> yeah, how do you how do you do that and just stay and keep like so task oriented, especially with a big project like a record, you know? Man, I, I don't even know. Like, I stay up, like you were saying, like, I definitely stay up late, and those are like my productive hours. Um, I think I have a really good memory just in general, and I probably need to stop relying on it so much. Because, um, <laughs> like, I remember, like, I, I, I've, I have dates in my head for things that are months away, and it's not like one or two dates. Like, we're talking like <laughs> 10 to 15, like, separate dates. For separate occasions, like I just remember them. Um, but I think I work well with deadlines, like you were saying, without the structure of a school and whatnot. So if I have a deadline, I don't let it sneak up on me. Like my mom thinks I wait to the last minute to do absolutely everything. No, you wait but until actual- like the second you know you've had to, you gotta start, is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cause like I know I know how how quickly I can pump things out and it still be like what it needs to be like still needs to be top level oh i remember so, like, our comprehensive exams those first couple of days were a little bit lighter than the last few 
Oh yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> so, like, I, I take things seriously for the most part. So, like, with the with the record, I was lucky. Like, all, all the music was already not all of it, but a decent amount of it was already written. So, the things that I kind of had to get organized were like logistical things, like getting people plane tickets and whatnot. And I did not wait to the last minute to do that, uh, just because th- there's money involved. But as far as like uh preparation for stuff like getting stuff written and whatnot i i do a lot of stuff on the front end like let's say i need to write a new tune or i need to arrange something for the tune i do as much as i can the first day that i work on it as possible so i'm not cramming um because like you know starting for something like composing starting is usually the hardest part um i say starting and ending um all the middle stuff is just fluff and it doesn't really matter too much anyway so like once you get like get into a groove like i'm willing to sit at a computer for five hours just writing uh, <laughs> you know i don't like it i hate that actually because i hate computers but I'm, I'm very willing to just sit down and just knock it out um and uh, i'm a good multitasker like uh um i've had like a girlfriend in the past just be baffled by the fact that i could stay on a facetime call and practice and also compose and still be communicating uh with that person you know and to me it's just like easy it's like second nature like um you could be talking to me right now and i could easily be like playing playing piano and you know actually getting something meaningful out it's just i think that's just how my brain works i'm able to kind of juggle a lot of stuff at once but i definitely i definitely need to start writing stuff down that's like i'm not gonna say that's my goal for the year but at some point i'm gonna get too busy to not to be able to just kind of remember all my stuff i don't plan i don't necessarily plan ahead and i don't i don't write anything down so it is weird. It's weird to even talk about it because I don't, I don't know. I think I, I just, I just kind of make it happen. I like to think that I, I just make stuff happen. Like if I want to do it, I'm gonna get it done. You know, like at FSU with the recitals, that was a lot of work mainly because I was playing on a lot of people's recitals. Um, <laughs> so like getting my stuff done was tough because I had to kind of cram it in between like rehearsals and school at the same time. But I knew I, I had a vision. So I was like, if I want it to happen, I'm going to knock it out. <laughs> yeah. A lot How, of people aren't willing to do that. <laughs> I mean, that's true. That's true. And when do you think that it finally um, clicked? You know, because I think to, to a degree, what holds back a lot of people uh, in this career, and it's something that I know that I've struggled with to some extent and still do to some extent, is the, like, just committing to it without necessarily knowing that what you're committing to is going to really pan out, you know, just as like a musician in general. <laughs> Man. Uh, Cause you got to commit. When, yeah. Yeah. And you know, um, I think for me, with just a lot of things, whether it be music, I guess everything I do right now is music for the most part, whether let's say this, whether it be performing or more like administrative work, like let's say sending in an application for something. Once you've been told, you're not good enough, enough times, that shit stops bothering you. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> like, if that makes sense. Like, rejection doesn't bother me at all. So, like, anything that I do, I'm doing for me. I'm not doing it to get any sort of uh, clout or recognition or whatever. Like, if it works out, it works out. Like, if I get accepted to a program or I people like how I sound like I post videos on Instagram all the time I don't I couldn't care less if a single person liked it or not because the fact that I posted it means that I liked it you know and that's just where I'm at so everything that I do is so personal that if I didn't do it that would be more of an indictment on my on myself than than anything I'd be more disappointed that I didn't uh, that I didn't see something through yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's tough, man. I was talking about it the other day with somebody too, with um, like, especially living in the world that we do now with things like Bumble and Tinder, <laughs> you don't have to deal with rejection because you don't have to actually ask someone or initiate, you know, for the most part, I guess. Sure. Some people don't respond, mm-hmm. but once you match someone, there's like a certain instant gratification, you know, or once you get that like on, on Instagram, there's like that that instant gratification or whatnot, but how did you, you know, here's something that I, that I've struggled with. Uh, and I'm curious to know if you, if you thought about this, mm-hmm. you also like your mentors are some people that are definitely younger. So they are thinking about the whole social media game and the whole like content idea and putting stuff out there for people. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you get past the point of feeling? Cause like sometimes I'll, you know, I'll think about something I'm doing and then I'm like, Oh man, that, that's just like, that's just shit that he <laughs> told me. You know, and like, it's just like to us, it seems like really obvious because it's already been told to us by somebody. You feel like they're already doing that type of stuff, you know, and then how did you get past that and figure out the like, well, it's, you know, sometimes the same audience that's going for Stefan's thing or Warren's thing is not the same audience that's going to go for me. And like, I'm still contributing something that's like unique because it's me just because Warren's doing it does not mean I'm doing it how Warren's doing it. Yeah, um, a lot of credit to my ex-girlfriend who's really, really, really adamant about me posting things on social media. Like I'm, I am anti-social media. It doesn't yeah, look I like know. it if you. I know. <laughs> if, it, it doesn't look like it if you look at my social media, but I am very much like I think it's like one of the worst things to happen to mankind. Hmm. Um, just from the, from the, uh, position of it creates so much anxiety for a lot of different people. Um, I think we would all just be better off without it, but it does get your name across the world. You know, like I have benefited greatly from, uh, just me posting videos of like, you know, two, three minute clips of me at gigs. I got somebody messaged me today about a gig, um, (laughs) uh, via Instagram. I have no idea who this person is, you know? Um, so like that type of stuff has happened a lot for me over like the last year or so. But I think it just creates this this world where like people are constantly judging themselves and judging others too. But we're always gonna judge other people, so that doesn't matter. But like when you start overthinking, like, ah, is this video, you know, good enough to post? Yada 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 yada, yada. and it literally prevents you from ever posting a single one. Like that's tough. You know, it's hard to get out of that cycle, and it took me a while. Um, I think it wasn't until maybe I moved back to Houston after we graduated 2019, August 2019, uh, when I moved back to Houston. Because, like, the whole time I was at FSU, I didn't really post videos of me playing. Like, here or there, like, there might – I can think of maybe two or three that I might have posted. 
And I've always had gotten a lot of support just from the, at least, I was about to say from the day I started playing music. When I got to undergrad, I got a lot of support. And um, so, like, even when I did, wasn't really posting videos, when I did, like, people would always, you know, comment and like and share and whatnot, and I appreciated that. But I still, it still made me feel, like, so uncomfortable, and it was probably because I was, like, for some reason, I was constant, like, for, like, four years of living in Chicago, and even all the years I was at FSU, I was constantly being compared to the other young vibraphonists around, like, in an unhealthy way, and I can, I'm not going to say it, but I know exactly who was uh, creating that little uh, bubble of judgment for me, Um, but it was, that was like one thing that was probably holding me back a little bit was that I was like, even when I was trying to be a little bit more to myself and just work on my own things, I would just hear like, you know, chitter chatter. Nobody had FSU obviously, but like chitter chatter of like, why don't you do this thing like this person or like this person or this person. And that just bothered me. But eventually, you know, I was like, you know what? I think Ulysses was real big and helping me get a little bit more like confidence in terms of like my social media. Right. Um, not necessarily because of anything he did, but once I got started playing with him, that was like confirmation that like, hey, I'm just as good as anybody else, better right. than a lot of people, you know, um, not as good as some, but like I'm working and I'm 20. I guess I started playing with him when I was 23. Um, so like that gave me the confidence to be like, hey, you know, if this guy likes likes what I'm doing, I can post a video. <laughs> I can post a little video. Man, that might be one of the biggest it. things that like, I think, cause like we think of this mentorship thing, you know, and that relationship that we had or whatever. And uh, like, you, you think of it all the time as like uh, passing on knowledge and like educating in, in that type of relationship. But just the um, gratification's not the right word, but like the confidence you can get in yourself from someone with a name being willing to hire you to do something, I, I think puts it on a level playing field, you know, because then you, it's, you start, stop comparing yourself to thinking about like, man, you know, uh, like, I don't know. I think for me, you know, as a trumpet player and they are the nicest people and I'm not dogging them whatsoever, you know, but you look at someone like a summer Carmargo or Anthony mm-hmm. Hervey, you know, or even the age group right above it. And you see like all these fantastic things that they're doing, you know, Mm-hmm. or and and love them to death great people great musicians but it, it can definitely be a little daunting especially you know when when some cats are coming from like tallahassee florida you know tallahassee <laughs> florida ain't shit you know yeah yeah so i that's a big thing i think for especially um yeah and i i'd even go and say like the, the mentor doesn't even necessarily have to have a name per se i guess it obviously helps and it helped me um i think even bigger than a name, I think it's good to have mentors who are not that much older than you. Um, Cause I have a ton. I'm lucky. I'm incredibly blessed. to have like a ton of uh, 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 male, specifically black male musicians who have really helped me that I still talk to from undergrad, from before, from whatnot, from grade school to grad school. You know, I still talk to a lot of these guys that I uh, look up to uh, my uncle included. Um, and they're the ones that kind of helped me with my maybe like at least 
my playing confidence to most of the ones who are a little bit closer in age, like Ulysses, obviously, and my uncle. Um, so, like, I know one thing I try to do it here in Houston that I'm really, really big on, I try to get young musicians on pretty much almost every gig that I play. Um, there's a great arts high school here in Houston uh, called HSPBA. So there's that I went to and that everybody's gone to, Jason Moran, Robert Glasper, Chris Day, Eric Hartland, Mike Moreno, Kendrick Scott, Alan Hamp, like, you know, just long list of, like, probably some of the most famous jazz musicians today went to that high school. So it would be irresponsible of me to not try and uh, bring that type of greatness out of somebody who's currently attending the school, you know? And some of these kids can really play. Like, if you look at a lot of my videos on Instagram, the bass player in, in most of those videos is 17, you know, <laughs> he's 17. He's playing like, I don't, I definitely am not arrogant and I don't think I've done as much. I haven't done as much as I want to do, but I have traveled and I've played with some really, really, really heavy people at this point in my life. And this 17 year old kid is getting to play with me. And in a perfect world, I'm able to kind of, pass some of that to him and get him to feel like, Hey, if I'm playing with this guy, I can play with anybody, you know? When did you figure out that you wanted to do that? Because I, you know, again, we're what, 25, 26, you know, so, it's, yeah. you're talking. Um, and, and I don't know if it's not selfish. Cause like, I definitely have the, the interest to be that eventually, you know, but mm -hmm. how did you decide that that was now? Because so often I think we still, I mean, I don't know about you. I'm just always more focused on like, who's the best person for the job? Who's the best person mm -hmm. I can possibly, like, I want to be the worst person yeah. in this band and have all of them playing so much better than me and, and bring me up to it yeah. rather than, than giving that. And it's not because I'm against it. It's just, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't feel like it's almost my time yet to do that, you know? Yeah, you know, one thing that I've kind of been trying to live by is that you're never too young to help somebody. Um, but I guess I'd say I kind of adopted that mindset while I was at FSU specifically, because I'm really close with a lot of the undergrad students there, even still today. Um, like specifically, uh, you know, Gianni, me and Gianni lived in the same uh, apartment complex. Like he lived right, right, right below me he would come up to my, to my apartment all the time to play tunes. And like, you know, when you, when you realize that somebody like just legitimately just wants to get something from you, like just wants to be around you that, cause like he'd come up and he, we might not even play. Like he would just sit there and listen to me ramble about my broken philosophy, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and even, even other people like uh, Mikhailo, as hard-headed as he is, hope he's listening, uh, like as, as talented as, as he is specifically, um, like I still see him as a little brother for sure because um, he acts like one. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I wouldn't say like I'm a mentor to him, but like he's someone that I try to, I try to help and whatnot. Um, so like when I got back to Houston, I just know how I was treated while I was in high school and nobody was really trying to help me too much. There was like a couple people, a couple people, and they know who they are, <laughs> you know, um, who would, who would really just throw me opportunities when nobody at the school was trying to, you know, and I would, I think it would be a shame for someone to have to, uh, 
when you're going to a school like HSPBA specifically, it would be a shame for someone to not have the best experience of their life. You know, whether it's in the school or just the years that they're in the school. Like, like I was saying, the bass player that plays with me, he plays with me every Saturday, was playing with me more than that pre-pandemic, I'd say. Um, so if I can just tell him some things that he's not going to get from the school, I think that will just make these years of his life, well, the next few years of his life a lot easier. Because when he gets to college and he realizes that, oh, Jalen told me that this is exactly how I was going to mess this situation up. Maybe he won't mess it up. (laughs) You know, like we shouldn't all be having to learn like trial by fire. You know, there's nothing wrong with being prepared and knowing how to uh, uh, deal with something, get ahead of something before you were in the midst of it. I think that's like a stupid, like, uh, misconception that the capitalistic world that we live in creates. It's like, oh, you got to go through all these things to mature. You got to go through all these things to properly learn. It's like, nah, man, like if you honestly, if you just listen to what the people around you are telling you, you can avoid all of that, be just as mature and probably be more successful and not be depressed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, but you know, okay. So man, you're doing all this. First off, does it feel weird to still be gigging regularly? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of glad. Funny enough, like, in November, I think I peaked at about five gigs a week mm. for, like, that wasn't consistent. I, I'd say there was, like, maybe a span of a month where I was playing about four a week consistently, which is a lot, you know. It's definitely a lot for a vibraphonist, and it's a lot right now. Right. Um, that was a little anxiety-inducing just because, like, okay i'm out a lot (laughs) luckily like all the gigs i played were like pretty low-key and they were all like every single one was outside and the band was always like you know separated from the crowd and whatnot if there was a crowd um but with that being said i'm glad a lot of things have kind of fizzled out because it's getting cold and people don't want to you know uh seat restaurants don't want to seat people outside in the cold weather so I think right now I'm down to about one gig a week and I could not be happier about it <laughs> just because I'm not nearly as tired. Right. I can actually practice. Like when you're gigging that much, you don't practice. You just play the gig, right. you know? Right. Um, that's just, that's just how it goes. Especially if you play a big instrument, like if you play any of the rhythm section instruments, you're probably not practicing, but even like you play trumpet, you wouldn't have the chops to practice. Like, right. Nope. You know, like, like legitimately. Unless you're a saxophone player. Like, who else, you know, like, there's exactly. only ones that I feel like can put the horn down for three years and then come back, and it's like, oh, it's never even stopped. Yeah, exactly. So, like, they're the only ones, but I'm I'm glad that I'm down to one because it's a lot safer, first off, because things are seeming to ramp up a little bit. Um, right. And I just I, I just get to spend more time actually practicing. Uh, um, like, this week, I'm a, I'm always applying for stuff. So like I have I'm applying for this one uh is it like black um emerging composers thing that the San Francisco Conservatory is doing hmm. because after some black people were killed, everybody in the world's like, oh we gotta help black people out. It's only been, you know, two thousand and twenty one years. <laughs> so We'll, we'll, I'm gonna see if I can uh, work any of that to my benefit. But like this week, I 
I spent like the last two days specifically, I spent like a couple hours just editing charts, uh, scores, which is like tedious work. Yes, like it that sucks is, so much. <laughs> like that's not fun. It's not fun at all. But like, I probably wouldn't have had the energy or motive, motivation to do that um, two months ago. But, you know, you, I can I have so much more time. How, um, you know, interesting left ball, left field ball. Oh, no, for sure. Um, we look at, at jazz, you know, and I think it is undeniably, whatever you want to call it, undeniably comes from the, the, the black culture. You know, and, and everything that people were going through. And that's by no means saying that so-and-so did not contribute to it. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, they did. But the foundation of it is in that. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and with that, there's, you know, several things that go into it. Um, but something that I know that's been interesting for me to, to struggle with, and I, I asked someone's take on it. I don't know, a year ago or something. I wish I remember what they said, but uh, a lot of musicians have a very strong uh, gospel influence mm-hmm. because of the ties that Christianity inevitably has to, to it, you know, and just like their upbringing um, and, and, and the type of music that they grew up listening to with something like that. Where do you find, um, is it right for you to want to incorporate that music or that vocabulary or that essence without being also a firm believer of, you know, mm-hmm. like where do you toe that line of, you know, and now you're starting to talk about someone's faith or whatnot, but, you know, let's say someone more like agnostic or someone that not putting down that or whatever, but they mm-hmm. want to bring in that form of a, uh, influence musically but leave out the rest with something that's so very explicitly tied together you know what i mean yeah yeah i i mean you know you, there's a there's a lot of people who do that in my opinion i don't know about i don't know much information about anybody's faith but you listen to someone like brad meldow um it's very much in there um you can hear like the gospel influence i don't know if he's a believer in Christ, but he's not black. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I assume he probably didn't grow up in a black church. I don't know where Brad Meldow's from. Uh, right. But like, I think the sound of that music is really powerful. Um, and I think the, at the heart of it, like, you know, the thing that gives music its sound is going to be like the harmony and melody. And obviously, I don't think anybody could steal that you know it'd be different if someone was like you know literally taking a gospel song and then turning it into something that it like clearly is not you know like they used to like some of the white record labels used to do back in the Motown days right Um, right I don't know if you've watched uh the new movie that Chadwick Boseman is in uh I haven't I haven't yet no uh the Black Bottom Stomp yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, he writes a song in that film. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but this is so, it doesn't really, this part doesn't, isn't significant to the storyline, but he does write a song, like he, this black trumpet player. And then at some point in the film, they show a white band playing his song and it sounds nothing like what he wrote. You oh know? yeah, that stuff happened all the time. 
Exactly. You know, so that that's one thing. But like, if the music touches you in a way that you do want to incorporate some of that, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's like, to me, the point of that music too. Um, it's like, I didn't necessarily grow up in church. I've had like my spurts going to church a lot and then not going to church really at all. But I am religious. And um, that was that was like one of the only reasons I like going to church, to be honest. I didn't really care about listening to anybody talk to me uh, or telling me, you know, right from wrong. Right. And I think that's probably that's probably just because I'm like raised well. So like I didn't need a pastor to tell me what and what not to do because my mom probably has already beat me over the head with it a million times. Yeah. So <laughs> like I'm a, I'm more willing to listen to her than a pastor to be honest, just if I'm being real. Um so like one of the things that kept me interested uh was the music at church and when I started playing drums in church. So you know it touched me in a spiritual way but it does not gonna t- touch it well, I think if the music is uh, interesting someone to the point of them wanting to incorporate it, I'd argue that it does touch them in a spiritual way. It might not be in a religious, like, like Christ-loving uh, spiritual way, but it's like, you know, it's all energy. You, you know what I mean? If that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, I think this music, I don't think anybody can say uh, that doesn't take the music seriously, that it's not spiritual in some manner. I mean, we all refer to it as the music. You know, we, it's, it's Mm -hmm. all coming together for the sake of the music. You know, there's definitely moments where you feel like you are uh, uh, reaching another level when you're playing with it. I mean, to, to say that it's not spiritually touching in some manner, I think would be wrong. And I think that we all also hear the musicians too, that have that, uh, what sense of spirituality in their playing and the ones that don't, you know, and it's very easy <laughs> to, to not listen to the ones that don't. And yeah, and it just doesn't I, feel I'd, the same. I'd say like, you know, for someone, I guess like yourself, who's, who likes to sound the gospel music and whatnot. I think the biggest thing is figuring out what about it touches you, you know, and, and that's anybody with any genre, if you don't necessarily like, or not, not that anybody might dislike, but if you don't, care so much for what they're singing about but like what parts of the music are really resonant resonating with you because there's there's only 12 notes in our western scale so there's something deeper than that that's uh that's that that's resonating with someone who's really enjoying that music but might not necessarily be a a a devout believer in christ so you know you gotta dig in and see like what aspects of the music are just are really calling to you and it it's probably not as simple as this chord progression, or maybe it is, you know, but um, I think that's kind of just a, that's like a, a deep listening uh, um, kind of question to ask and, and figure out. So some of it is just like, I think of all the genres of music, gospel tends to be one of the more passionate ones. You know, people really, really believe what it is that they're playing and singing about, and that's infectious all genres are not like that (laughs) like a lot of pop music is not really like that so you don't necessarily get a feel of uh man this person believes every word coming out of their mouth um in in, in pop music but in gospel you generally do at least the good groups like 
right, right, you, right. You know, it's like this person really wholeheartedly believes that, and that's that's beautiful, and that's you know the thing that same thing with jazz. You know, the really good groups, you're like, oh, this dude, um, like John Coltrane on Love Supreme, it's like he me- he means every note that he's playing, right? Like even even when he's just like, like he means all of that, you know, like. And it, it comes across as such, you know, it's very genuine. It's very honest. So. Hmm. Well, look, man, I'm, uh, you know, glad we got to sit down and chat or whatever, pick your, pick your brain, see how things are going and whatnot. And, uh, Hey, hope, hope the album goes what well. you got the hard part over, I guess, you know, as long as you can stay organized for the rest. <laughs> right. We shall see that that's what Ulysses is for. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, you've looked. Thanks again, man, for, for coming on, and I'll make sure to catch you soon. 